and welcome to What's in the Box, the Doctor Who podcast that invites you to discuss your favourite or recommended things from the world of Doctor Who. Tonight, I'm delighted to welcome my next guest to the podcast, Jason Thompson. Hello, Jason. Hello. How are you this evening? I am very well, thank you very much. Um, it's, uh, it's a great evening to record a Doctor Who podcast because we are, in fact, recording this on the 23rd of November. We are, aren't we? Um, we, we did have a slight debate on whether we should have recorded today or the previous night but uh i think we uh, we were both in agreement it was fine to record tonight absolutely what, a, what an appropriate day to do it on so happy doctor who day to happy all doctor who celebrate who and as I we're assume it's going to be everybody who listens to this podcast otherwise why I, 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 I hope so <laughs> <laughs> and as as we are talking i believe uh just to just to put a time stamp on when we're recording i believe they're, they're currently showing the uh, or they may have just finished the colorized version of the uh, the original Dalek story, aren't they, on BBC? Yeah, I think that's or... got another twenty minutes or so to run at the moment. But uh, yeah, so that's going to be as soon as we finish this, I'm going to pop onto iPlayer and get that on my uh, get that Some, on my screen. Something ex- exciting to look forward to after after we've Oops. recorded on this. What have you been doing with your with your day then, celebrating Doctor Who? Well, fortunately, I've had a day off work. I had some days of leave to take, and I thought I'll take a long weekend, and I'll have the twenty third and twenty fourth of November off. So I have been uh, watching an awful lot of Doctor Who. Actually, are you looking I've... forward to the uh, the Star Beast on on Saturday? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it was it was amazing enough ten years ago to think that we were getting an anniversary special for fifty years of Doctor Who, but the fact that it's still running on television at sixty years is just incredible. So, whatever you, I mean, you know, whatever you think of the direction the series has taken, whatever you think of Russell T Davis and anything else that's going on, just the fact that we actually have Doctor Who on television on BBC One for the sixtieth year. That's worthy of celebration. I was watching some of the show reels, I suppose, that the BBC had put together today uh, on Twitter on the on their official account, and they do as much to celebrate the old series as they do with the new stuff as well. And it's very much inclusive now uh, for 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 the classic series as as well as the new series. I think they're yeah, quite happy definitely. to celebrate. I mean, look at what they're doing with the you know colorizations and, and and things like that they're, they're very they're very much they're embracing doctor who everything now i think yeah i think so and that's that's fantastic so i'm now stuck with sitting in front of iplayer going what to watch it's, <laughs> it's all there well n- it's mostly all there what am i going to watch i don't know <laughs> it's it's uh, it's crazy real isn't it i um when it when it first came on the iplayer few weeks ago i was like right what shall i watch okay so i watched um the first three episodes of shada and then because i'd never seen the episodic version of it before uh animated and then i went back and watched an episode of delta and the bannermen and then i watched an episode of fury from the deep and then the other day i, I showed my son was watching episode six of genesis of the daleks and uh and then he watched episode two of death of the daleks so you're kind of hopping around there and you know you you you're spoilt for choice these days aren't you really hopping around and not even watching a complete serial oh <laughs> <laughs> no not like in the good old days when we used to get the the videotapes once a month or twice a month if we were lucky <laughs> yeah get the videotape go to Woolworths. Hand over your nine ninety nine for a VHS, then rush home and wait for the family to get out of the way so you could actually watch it. <laughs> That's how it used to be, kids. That is how it used you to be. Lucky, yeah. lucky <laughs> bastards! You don't know how good you've got it these days. Tonight we're going to be talking about some quite interesting topics. Um, we'll we'll head into them soon, but before we started with your topics, I just wanted to ask you how you kind of got into Doctor Who. Um, well, I mean, I think Doctor Who has kind of always been there. It's, uh, I mean, my earliest recollection of Doctor Who, uh, with apologies to anyone who's heard me on podcast before, because I would have said all this before and I probably put it on Twitter and everything else, uh, whatever. My earliest recollection of Doctor Who is the statue falling in Revelation of the Daleks back Ooh. in 1985. I was five years old. So wow. as you can imagine, I don't have huge numbers of memories of television or anything else mm-hmm. prior to that, really. Um, but that really stuck in my mind. Um, and I remember watching The Trial of a Time Lord. I have a lot of very vivid memories of sitting in my living room watching that story. Um, and I was so terrified by the cliffhanger at the end of part 13 that I didn't watch part 14. Oh, really? Um, and I didn't realise it was the last episode. 
Oh no! So, so you were was... expecting to come back? <laughs> it was some two years later. later that I found out how that story finished. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I don't think my parents were particularly taken with Sylvester McCoy because the only Sylvester McCoy episodes I can really remember watching are the Happiness Patrol. I mean, you can understand that being stuck in the memory, mm-hmm. um, and a couple of episodes of the greatest show in the galaxy but i don't recall any of season 24 or 26 um, and then of course it went away and occasional target books in this in lewis library notwithstanding doctor who wasn't really a thing until i was walking i got the ark in space out of my school library mm-hmm. they had a couple of the target novelizations and i got the ark in space out and i really enjoyed it loved it I sound it's such a ridiculous coincidence, but I was walking down the corridor one wet lunchtime and I heard the Doctor Who theme coming out of one of the classrooms. And I thought, that's that's odd. Why is <laughs> why is that playing? Um I knew the Doctor Who theme, of course, because of Doctor in the TARDIS and all that. that mm-hmm. And I'd watched it and remembered it. And I poked my head around the door just in time to see the beginning of the arc in space. And so I thought, well, that's I, I'm watching that. Then I want to see how it is because obviously I read the book and Ian Martyr's novelizations um, went a bit more graphic than the series ever could. I mean, his descriptions of the way Noah is taken over by the Wirren are really mm. visceral, um, and obviously on screen he's just covered in bubble wrap. But nonetheless, I was 12 years old and I absolutely loved it. So I was hooked from that point on, um, and then I was kind of. I, I found the Doctor Who magazine in my news agents. I was borrowing videos from friends and so on and so forth. And that was it. So from 12 years on, I've been a massive fan of Doctor Who. And that's it's, uh, and the, the fact that we are now here celebrating the 60th anniversary. Wow. It's very scary, isn't it? How I mean, I, I, I clearly remember the 30th anniversary. So the fact that we're 30 years on from the 30th anniversary is just terrifying i think (laughs) in a a good way in a good way (laughs) yeah it's quite interesting listening to people talk about how they got into doctor who in a in a similar way to myself you know because i i I got into it through watching the mccoy stories uh i was you know i saw time in the rani when it was broadcast and um and then i collected the videos as i as i got older so it's quite interesting how a lot of fans our age have have built up our knowledge of doctor who through collecting the targets uh well more of the videos for me because I, I wasn't a massive target collector uh, but collecting the, the the books collecting the the videos and um how it when people say you know what's your favorite who's your favorite doctor it's very hard because i grew up with all seven of them because of the the variety of doctors that were released over those years that I was growing up. So, yeah, so- absolutely. It was, it was very random. And I, I think, um, I think Toby Haydock on a couple of his podcasts has described it as the archeology span of doctor who in those mm. years when it wasn't all available. I mean, you know, now it's all available at the push of a button mm. uh, and it's all been released. Every, every existing episode has been released on multiple media now. Mm. Um, several times and of course being fans of long-standing we have thrown our money at the VHS collection and then more money at the DVD collection of the same (laughs) stuff we had on VHS and now even more money at the Blu-rays of the same stuff that we've had on DVD and on VHS it never ends there's some some degree of insanity involved here I'm sure (laughs) (laughs) how much money we've actually spent on these things it's just absurd but because when I started out, you know, when I was 12 years old, back in the early 90s, there were only, I don't know, 20 stories had been released on VHS at that point. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Um, and since then, obviously, everything's been released, but in a random order. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, you had to wait for ages to see some of the stories because they weren't available. Uh, missing episodes were, you know, not out on audio or anything like that. They did a few in the early 90s and then mm-hmm. it had a gap. Um, so not only was getting hold of it officially very difficult, but of course we then had the bootlegs because mm-hmm. the orphaned episodes weren't available either. So you'd go to sort of collector's fairs and see people, or you'd email people and arrange to get recons or multi-generation VHS copies of old episodes, which were like trying to watch something through a snowstorm. It was you know terrible, oh. terrible picture quality. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the thing I always remember about that is getting a bootleg version of um, the 10th Planet episodes one, two, and three. <laughs> same as myself 
really really rough quality really 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 bad quality episode. yeah and then they got cleaned up and released on vhs and suddenly you can see the sticky tape that's <laughs> holding the cybermen's heads together <laughs> yeah so. you kind of you kind of um, it kind of makes you miss the <laughs> the snowstorm versions doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> it does a bit yeah interesting to note though that um on the iplayer some of the old black and white episodes so it's are the uncleaned up versions. So things mm. like the Moonbase episode four, I think, is an unrestored. Yeah, that's an interesting. I don't know why that is. I, I, I've seen various Doctor Who fans on Twitter try and explain it, but I've not kind of seen any definitive reason for why they've done that. No, especially as it seems to be quite random. They'll have the, you know, Invasion episode two is unrestored, poor quality, and then they'll have like part four is, part mm. four is missing. So that's animated, yeah. but, you know. But you know what I mean. But yeah, so it seems rather odd that they've got some of those. But it is quite, you know, quite nostalgic in a way to to watch it with all the film dirt and the grain and the, yeah. <laughs> and the dark picture quality and think actually this is how it used to look. <laughs> you know, the- we used to put up with all that stuff on VHS because especially in the early years they just get whatever copy they could find and whack it on VHS without cleaning it up at all. And some of it was absolutely shocking. Mm. I remember um, the opening of. Um one of the i can't remember which episode of the aztecs it was but i remember the title sequence at the beginning of the episode and it was all kind of wonky and slightly askew and the the sound was as if it had been recorded it, it recorded in a bathroom or something yeah so i i remember speaking about the 10th planet i um my my friend and i when we were about probably about 14 we we went to a a, a sci-fi collectors fair at the town hall and there was a there was a dealer selling the 10th planet episodes one to three as well and me and my friend we just didn't know whether we could trust it or not and we were like do we don't we this is 20 pounds you know and to to two 14 year old boys in in 1996 20 pounds was a lot of money and he uh it, we we ended up buying it and we took it home straight away watched it but it was like it was amazing to see this story that we'd only ever read about and and at the end of the the story the the guy had put the um the cine clips on um from the oh, that the right. guy had filmed and we were we didn't expect to see them we didn't even know that they existed so we we all of a sudden we were seeing clips from the reign of terror and and the chase as well i think there was clips from the chase on there mm. uh, it was all silent apart from this kind of kind of roaring sound in the middle of uh, across all of the clips so there's no soundtrack to it we were sat there absolutely gobsmacked watching William Hartnell regenerate and Patrick Trout and kind of feeling his face in the TARDIS and uh, 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 the very next day I mean, we were so naive but the very next day we we tried to call the BBC to ask them if they <laughs> had these clips and could we sell them to the BBC and uh, yeah we didn't get any we didn't get very, very far with that but uh, but yeah it's kind of it was very much again yeah archaeology uncovering these these things that we'd never that we'd never seen before and things that we wanted to piece together it was a, it was a it was a very exciting time to be to be a, a, a teenager i think uh, back in the wilderness years it was i don't know why they call them the wilderness years really because the only thing that wasn't happening was doctor who new doctor who on television but mm-hmm. we still had the repeat seasons in the 90s uh, which actually meant there were more episodes being shown in those years 92 and 93 on the bbc than there had been since the mid 80s because mm-hmm. you know the trial of a time lord onwards was 14 episodes a season well, the repeat seasons were 20 and 25 or something like that. So, you know, there was loads more episodes actually being shown. Yeah. Uh, the VHSs were coming out. The target novelizations were still available um, from any decent bookshop. And you were getting the Blue Spine reprints as well. From mm-hmm. that. You had the new adventures. You had the missing adventures, uh, script books, audio cassettes. Um, it was, loads it was... of factual books were coming out as well. How mm. Stammers and Walker were the 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 main three who were writing all these factual reference books as well. So there was so much Doctor Who available in those years. But because it wasn't on telly, we insist on calling them the wilderness. <laughs> it was all there. It was just, you know. Yeah, it was it was it was a it was a, a golden time. I can see why people, you know, I mean I look back fondly on it and a lot of people do look back fondly on it. Uh, it's uh it was such an interesting time as well. And yeah. it, it, by the end of it all I was I was convinced that Doctor Who would never come back, and I was happy with that. I was quite happy to to see it as a as a comic and an audio and a and a and a book series. I I remember saying to somebody once, 
this is it's not a TV show anymore. It's a it's a comic series. It's a book series. It's a it's an audio series. It was that just felt like that was how it would always be, and that didn't bother me. So yeah. uh, of course I was glad that it came back, and uh, look at what's happened since. So it's it, you know it's been a it's been a great journey that the, that the show's been on. Um, but, oh, amazing! Uh, I, I you know when it came back in two thousand and five, I thought it will probably run for you know these days everything runs for five, six, seven seasons, and that's it. So they'll probably mm-hmm. do a bit of that, and then it'll be done. And here we are, eight. 18- years later <laughs> and we've got at least two new series on the way so yeah um, i'm just i'm amazed that it's taken off again as much as it has so yeah and so close to i mean it's just like say 18 years but we're very very close to matching the the original series run now aren't we oh yeah indeed so <laughs> which which makes me feel old <laughs> So we're going to go into your topics then, um, and you've picked a—I uh, a, don't know if it's a favourite story, if it's a recommended story, or one of your favourites. Um, but you—you've picked a, a, a finale, a, a two-part finale uh, from from Matt Smith's era. So it's uh, it's the Pandora opens and the Big Bang. Yes, it's uh, I've, I've chosen it as sort of my favourite season finale. The season finales are a thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, they never really were. Um, in the classic era, there are a few stories that try to be sort of finale like, and in, in the Tom Baker era in particular, you'd get five four parters and then a big six parter, which was supposedly a bit bigger and more spectacular. But in terms of narrative, they didn't build to a finale, they didn't mm. usually end, you know. Pretty much the only real finale that you got at the end of a season was when the Doctor regenerated, because usually that was the end of the season. And so that would be it. And the end of it, he'd be regenerating, and then you'd have to wait for the next season to to see your next Doctor. Um, apart, obviously, except in the 80s when Colin Baker turned up for the last serial of twenty season 21, and then the regeneration had to be stuck <laughs> on hastily at the beginning of Time in the Rani. So, um, But yeah, in terms of that, season finales in the 70s were kind of the the doctor regenerating so that mm. was it but now of course narratively we build up to a finale usually with varying degrees of success i suppose um sometimes i think it's a bit contrived and the fact that we have to keep on every year we build to a finale and it's just oh what are we building to this time what's the story arc this year oh how's it going is it mm-hmm. does it does it reward the uh continued watching and then there are things like they keep seeding it through the through the series so for example with um bad wolf in the first series leading us to to that which i thought was a good example Uh, and then the one that i really didn't care for was the eye patch lady who kept popping up in series six yes yeah Um, it's not one of my favorites either no you're 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 putting something in that's actually quite intrusive um rather than just casually mentioning bad wolf every so often yeah actually got something going on oh no so i didn't really care for that it just felt like i wasn't really fond of that storyline either Um, no but the other thing about the season finales that we get these days is that they generally and up to that point pretty much all the time had some kind of sad ending they were emotional roller coasters and they really ended with a companion leaving a doctor leaving you know building up to the big events and so mm. we've had um the parting of the ways which had the doctor's regeneration uh army of ghosts and doomsday which obviously had rose and the doctor separated and that was you know at the t- <laughs> i watched that at the time and i thought this is a bit sad <laughs> uh, i then made the mistake of watching it uh while i was sitting in my flat on my own the night before my wedding when i was already <laughs> in a heightened emotional state and dear god it nearly killed me <laughs> i was a blubbering wreck by the time i finished that so i should have chosen a different episode i really should <laughs> Should have um, chosen something like Delta and the Bannermen. That would have cheered you up. Yeah, that would have been fine. I should have gone for Delta. I love Delta and the Bannermen, but yeah, no, I went for Ghosts and Doomsday in 2006. Um, yeah. I was like, oh, why did I do that to myself? <laughs> <laughs> um, so you had that, you know, that wrench. Then you had um, the sound of drums, Last of the Time Lords, mm. the Doctor being distraught at the Master's death, Martha leaving. And then we'd had Journey's End, with Donna being mind wiped and 
thankfully, I mean, I love the fact that with Journey's End, they didn't end that episode with a silly little thing to lead into the Christmas special. Yes, because they, they ended it with the Doctor looking sad. Yeah, um, they nearly did, didn't they? But they, uh, they, they didn't did. in the end. <laughs> and I'm very glad they didn't because what they had on the what I've seen on the special features, it would have been nonsensical and ridiculous. So mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't do that. And then after that, even some of the finales are getting a bit wrenching. The Pandorica opens in the Big Bang is one I really shouldn't like all that much. But what I really like about it is that it's a happy ending. Yes. And it's pretty much the only season finale that is a happy ending, an unequivocally happy ending. It's an emotional roller coaster getting to it, but it unequivocally ends on a happy, positive, yay, let's go for more adventures kind of thing, rather than let's count the cost of what we've just been through and who we've lost and who's departed and everything else it's like no this is great this is this is happy it's all good so that's why i like it. it's one of the reasons why i like it so much as a season finale yeah it's very much let's go let's go back out there and have some fun let's go and yes. you know let's just have adventures it does end in such a positive way i was i rewatched it uh this week leading up to to talking to you and uh i was uh I haven't seen it for a long time and I was um, I was smiling by the end of it. Yeah, it, it always leaves me smiling. It's got so much in it that generally speaking, I don't care for as much as other things. So um, there's 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 obviously the difference in tone between Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat that you have mm-hmm. to kind of get used to when you're watching series five. Russell T. Davis is very much family drama. It's a sci-fi fantasy drama serial. It's all about people relationships and everything Stephen Moffat takes it and says Doctor Who is basically fairy tale yes we have people being brought back because they've been remembered and we have the Doctor saying you know impossible things just happen sometimes because the universe is big and vast and everything else so there's plenty in there that generally speaking doesn't appeal to my sensibilities when it comes to enjoying Doctor Who I prefer it to be a bit more grounded which sounds ridiculous when you're talking about a series about somebody (laughs) traveling through time and space in a police box it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside um but something about the total fairy tale fantasy doesn't quite sit right with me necessarily with doctor who Mm -hmm. um so you know that that kind of thing shouldn't really appeal i really was not impressed with the cliffhanger when i saw it at at the time because of the the thing that seems to be happening more and more in the new series um russell t started it and stephen moffat ran with it uh, the two things that I really got pr- quite bored with by that point were one was, I mean, prophecies to the end of the series. Somebody would say, this is thing, this mysterious thing yes. is going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, he will knock four times and, you know, and, and the Pandorica will open, mm-hmm. silence will fall. Oh, yeah. It's just, oh, can we not just have something that naturally builds to it rather than mm-hmm. somebody going, by the way, if you go to think bad things are going to happen to you in the future. Well, yeah. We, we kind of know that. That's the whole point. <laughs> You know, wouldn't it be fun if one day somebody said, you know, at the end of this year, you're just going to have a big party. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's 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 like River, isn't it? Saying saying to him at the end of it, we'll meet again. And uh, I'm afraid that's when things are going to change. And it's like, really? You know? Yeah, <laughs> do we yeah do... exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just it, it is frustrating. Just all the constant this thing is going to happen. And it's like, yeah, well, we we kind of know that bad things are going to happen. Otherwise, we haven't got much of a plot and a story. Have we? <laughs> so we don't we don't need all the prophecies. And the other thing which I got frustrated with, um, which this one turns up to 11, is, you know, in, in Classic Who, you had an imminent catastrophe that you had to race to stop. In New Who, it seems to be more common that you have an imminent catastrophe that actually happens and <laughs> then you have to undo it with some wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. Yeah. And so, you know, it's like I don't oh the big disaster has happened and now we've had to undo it. So, you know, at this the last of the Time Lords immediately gives you a reset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the, even at the beginning, you know there's going to be a reset because mm-hmm. it says Earth is you know, so they're gonna, they're gonna undo it. So yeah, and at this point, they've blown up the entire universe. Yeah. At the end of part at the end of the Pandorica opens. So the only possible solution to that is going to be some wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff that will re that will either stop that from happening or otherwise fix the universe. And you and, know that Moffat's going to do that. You know he's he's already Moffitt planned is, that out. He's <laughs> wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Um, yeah, all over the place. And so yeah, okay. Technically, it doesn't get undone as such because the universe is rebooted, which mm-hmm. is not you know they don't go back in time and prevent it from being destroyed. They just 
boot it back up again. Yeah. But it does involve a lot of the Doctor zipping back and forth through time and giving Rory his sonic screwdriver from the future to go and get him out of the Pandora in the past. And oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> But it also, it's a kind of episode that wants to have its cake and eat it because it throws all the monsters in at part one. Yes. And in part two, um, it tells a story with universal scale consequences focused on basically four characters. And I I thought that was actually quite good and clever. And I enjoyed that. Mm. Um, and I remember watching it with we had a friend over. So I remember that. And we we watched it and I, I quite enjoyed it. And say it's, it's something different. It's all the all the big stuff and the spectacle has been thrown in at part one. Yeah. Part two tells the story about how these characters it's it's everything. it's much more of a, a an emotional episode isn't it the the second part it's um very very small and very contained what i like about moffat's two parters is he the the second part is always more or less different from the first part he changes things uh you know you see it in in um uh, silence of the library in the forest of the dead um and you see it in in this episode as well there was always a it changes. It's not the. It doesn't. It doesn't always. And I know it's not part one and part two, but it does always feel like two separate stories rather than a an extended story split down the middle. Yeah, it does. And um, and this this episode also did something with a thing that I was not overly impressed with either during the run, which is the Doctor basically standing up, going, "I'm the Doctor," and all the enemies going, "Oh dear, I'm mm. a bit scared." The worst example of that, again, came from a Stephen Moffat script, I think, which was the Vashta Narada backing away from him when he told them to look him up in the library. These things can strip his flesh in less than a second. I don't really know what they think he's going to do in that time that would stop him from being eaten. <laughs> but they go, oh, dear, OK. And they basically just let him take away all their food mm. and abandon them, which, you know, is... <laughs> Do, do these creatures not have a right to live as well? You haven't come up with a solution for them. You've saved all the people, but we've left the swarm behind. Never mind. But in this instance, um, when I was watching the Pandorica opens, I groaned inwardly at it when the Doctor stands there on Stonehenge and shouts at all the monsters in their spaceships and said, mm -hmm. just let someone else try first. And I looked at it and I thought, well, for God's sake, they've all got, they just shoot him. Just shoot the bugger. <laughs> You know, just you blast, sterilize the planet with him on it. Just do something. Just don't don't let him just stand there unarmed and go, I'm the doctor and I'm great. Ha ha. And, and run away. But at least it turned out that they were actually it was kind of a ruse because they actually wanted to capture him and put him in the Pandorica. Um, that was it. That was it. That was a nice little twist on it. I felt I felt. Yeah. So I thought I'll, I'll let you I'll let you have that. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah. And then, yeah, the, the second part I really enjoyed and I mm. particularly enjoyed the last bit yeah the bit where he's uh rewinding through amy's uh well the adventures no, just the, really just, just in general end. just the very oh. end just the very end. Yeah. Actually, before we get to that bit the other part i like is river song making a dalek beg for mercy that was uh, yes yeah that i enjoyed and i also like the fact that the threat in this episode is essentially one slightly damaged dalek that's not at its best so yeah it's like Every so often it will pop up and it's a little bit, it's like it's almost like a video game. Yes. <laughs> isn't it? You've got to move through the levels and there's a little thing that will pop up every so often and try and kill you. And you've just got to try just and stay ahead of it. of it. It looks, it looks fantastic. The stone Dalek though. I think, uh, I think it shot really well. Yes. It, considering I, I... those Daleks were not very well liked. I don't think, uh, I think the, the director, and I've, I've forgotten who the director is now, but he, uh, he shoots this, those type of Daleks very well. I think. Yes, I, I think so. I prefer the stone. I wasn't taken with the Power Ranger plastic toy Daleks. No, no. Um, when they were given a slightly better paint job in future episodes, actually, I think they looked a bit better. Mm -hmm. But the stone ones looked really good. So, yeah. But the very end, the wedding scene is just one of the best mm. um, things. It just it it gets me every time because I'm amazed, really, that it took so long for someone to realise that the wedding phrase, something old, something new, something borrowed and something blue, actually applies perfectly to the TARDIS. Of course it does, yeah. Um, yeah. So Because I remember when we watched it at the time, just absolutely grinning ear to ear when Amy said that mm -hmm. as it materialised. And I was like, of course, that's that's perfect. And then it ends with the Doctor joining the wedding reception and dancing and having fun. Yeah. 
And then Amy and Rory pop on the TARDIS and go, right, let's go. Let's go and have some more fun and let's go and have more adventures. And yeah. that's fantastic. It's it's lovely. Uh, it's um, and, and I think, you know, I, and I think a lot has been said about the Matt Smith era. I do think that Series 5 is, is his strongest series. And I do think it really does showcase at the at the end of that episode in that wedding scene, just what a fantastic doctor he is. Uh, yeah. And I think he lost a little bit of that in series six and seven. Not all of it, because I still enjoy watching him, and I still enjoy those stories to, to to varying degrees. But definitely, the 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 best version of his Doctor was during series five. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I agree entirely. I thought series six and seven got a bit convoluted. I wasn't overly keen on the plots of either of them, the the, the arcs of either of them. Um, Matt Smith was just brilliant, though. I, I, I had, uh, I've had the advantage, I suppose, in in many respects, in that people keep asking me every time a new Doctor is cast, "What do you think of the new Doctor?" Most of the time, I haven't actually seen them in anything before, so I don't know. Mm. You know, I haven't seen Christopher Eccleston in anything that he's been in because I'm not. You know, he was he was known as a big serious drama actor and i wasn't big on watching serious dramas if i want to sit down for two hours in front of a television i want to be entertained not watch Mm. something that's going to be gritty and deep and dark and not raise a smile or anything like that i I like to be entertained that's what i want to watch you kind of want to escape from the from real life don't you really well exactly so i hadn't seen him in anything i hadn't seen david tennant in anything Mm. Uh, i hadn't seen matt smith in anything Mm. Peter Capaldi I'd seen because he'd been in Doctor Who and I'd seen him in other things like in The Vicar of Dibley for example so I knew who he was mm-hmm. uh, and he'd not long been in Torchwood Children of Earth as well yes so, yeah of course yeah um, so I knew Peter Capaldi but again I hadn't seen Broadchurch or anything with Jodie Whittaker in it and I've not seen anything of Shooty Gatwa either so people are going mm. what do you think about the new Doctor and it's like well I'm going to do something really novel guys and I'm going to wait and watch it and then tell you because how the hell do you know? Because the other thing, I mean, this is this is a become a pet peeve of mine is when people they put on these clickbait articles that say this actress is amazing and totally different from this last role that she did, and people are amazed. So why are people amazed? It's called acting. <laughs> it's what called... they do exactly. Yeah, exactly. It is literally what they do. They play something in one part. They play another part which is not the same, and they play it completely differently. Yeah. Yeah, there are some actors and performers who basically play this. Martin Freeman, for example, is Martin Freeman. Yeah, in everything that he's in, he is mm-hmm. Martin Freeman, with a few tweaks here and there for the specifics. Mm-hmm. But people like Olivia Coleman and David Tennant, Jodie Whittaker, all that, yeah. they, they play different characters. Yeah, and they play them differently. So even if I had seen Sex Education with Shooty Gatway in it, well, that isn't going to tell me anything about what he's going to be like in Doctor Who, other no. than. He's a decent actor. Perfect example is uh, uh, Christopher Eccleston. Uh, as he, when he was cast as the Doctor, he was in the third series of The League of Gentlemen, I think, um, in one of the episodes, playing the owner of a of a cat cinema, which showed films about cats. And I remember him turning up in the sh- in the show, and he was wearing a suit. He had a he was very suave looking. He had a he had a, a wide brimmed hat on, and he was he was speaking like that and very well spoken. And uh, Everybody on it would have been Outpost Gallifrey at the time were mm-hmm. were saying this is it this is how he's going to play the Doctor this is fantastic oh this is brilliant and they were putting together fan art of him dressed like that and it's like and then when he didn't play the Doctor like that there was a lot of people <laughs> kind of a bit well what's this you know what's happened here why is he why is he not how we thought he was going to be so I think you know I think you I think you got, you're right you know this is actors are actors and they will portray different characters any way they want to or again that's what it is and that's why that's you know it's another reason that's another argument against the criticism of jnt and his stunt casting in the 1980s everyone's like oh i can't believe they cast these ludicrous comic actors in these roles yeah they're brilliant though nicholas Mm. parsons as reverend in curse of fenric is superb Mm -hmm. you know okay he's best known as a game show host so what it wasn't, and he wasn't to me when I was a kid. I, I, he was best known to me as Reverend Wainwright. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's it was... just like these these guys are actors, and as many you get people who are known for comedy acting and everything. To be a decent comedy actor, you have to be a decent actor, full stop. So, if you cast somebody who's best known for comedy in drama, they will play the drama and they will play it very, very well because they're good actors. 
as we've seen so, time and time again with uh, yeah. Catherine and Tate. You'd think, you'd think people would learn, but no. It's like, you know, in 2005, it's like, what the hell is Billy Piper doing in Doctor Who? Why have they cast this teenage pop star? Like, well, first of all, she's not a teenage pop star anymore. And secondly, have you seen any of her other work? She's actually a really good actress. And then, of course, she's on screen. Everyone goes, Billy Piper, what a revelation. She's marvellous. She's fantastic. She's terrific. Yeah, when's she and coming back? Later, <laughs> and then a couple of years later, Catherine Tate. What are they doing Catherine Tate for? She's And then, oh, she's brilliant. She's fantastic. She's really, really good. And it's great. And then it, uh, John Bishop. What are they casting John Bishop? <laughs> oh, you learned nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. They never do, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, the Big Bang is mm. just uh, uh, what a superb ending that is for that series. It's just mm. so happy and positive. And this is Stephen Moffat in a nutshell. Sometimes I think he, it was a really nice idea to get a couple in the TARDIS and have mm. that. You know, instead of having the amorous intentions directed towards the Doctor from the companion, have an actual couple yeah. properly done. And I loved Amy and Rory's relationship. Oh yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I really did. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then. Of course, the next series, he goes and tries to make this love triangle thing going on. And, mm. you know, the dialogue at the beginning of A Good Man Goes to War is definitely constructed to make you think there's a possibility that the child is the Doctor's and not Rory's. And it's, oh, for God's sake, don't <laughs> do that. And Stephen Moffat takes, you know, this whole thing about from JNT in the 1980s, there is no hanky panky in the TARDIS. And Stephen Moffat goes, there will be. And I'll make an entire <laughs> series arc about the consequences of it. <laughs> It's the wrong direction to go in, I think, isn't it? Especially, yeah, I, you know, I think it is, and yeah, exactly. And it's like, when did this? When did this child begin? Oh, the first time they were together in this universe is oh god, on their wedding night. Oh my god! And it's like, okay, so, <laughs> so there we go. We're... Amy and Rory are so far the only characters to have canonically and definitely, unequivocally, <laughs> had sex on the TARDIS. <laughs> did we need that? I don't think we did. <laughs> I don't think we did, and 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 it, it changes the kind of the dynamic as well because it's I love the end of of uh, the Big Bang, and you know this idea of him being her imaginary friend. It's a it's a very sweet story, I think, and you can kind of accept that as well. You know, with although Amy kind of makes advances on him a few times uh, earlier in the series. Kind of. <laughs> kind of <laughs> he makes a blatant advance on him which even Stephen Moffat has gone on record as saying was misjudged and yeah. I completely agree with him that was not oh, oh absolutely not a good moment at all I hated no. that with absolute passion. yeah I, I remember general... seeing the headlines in the in the paper at the time leading up to the up to the episode saying oh the new companion going to get it on with the doctor and then and I thought no that's not going to happen they're just exaggerating things as they as they always do the newspapers and then when that scene started at the end of um it was flesh and stone was it uh, at the time of angels yeah flesh and stone yeah. flesh and stone i was like no 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 surely not surely not the the, the newspapers cannot be right it wasn't it, it could have been worse but uh, it definitely wasn't appropriate i don't think no it wasn't it wasn't a high point of series no. five um but yeah the concept of the imaginary friend and mm. and everything else and the relationship with rory um i think rory got a bit shortchanged as a companion in later stories he was always slightly absent for the big moments mm. yes you know when the doctor said goodbye to amy at the end of uh, um i think it's the god complex when he gives them the um gives them the house mm. He says goodbye to Amy and clears off while Rory's in the house, and he comes back out and goes, "Oh, where's the doctor?" <laughs> you know, at the end of at the end of series, at the end of the series, uh, River Song tells Amy that the doctor is actually still alive while Rory's getting drinks, so we don't <laughs> see him getting the good news. Um, and then, of course, at the end, when Amy and Rory leave at the end of Angels Take Manhattan, Rory zap, not yeah. nothing. That's mm. it. He's gone. He's gone. Um, and then that awful scene with Amy um, dragged mm. out and tears and all sorts yeah so she gets a proper goodbye scene and rory doesn't so rory got unfortunately rather short changed i think but i mm. really liked him yeah me more. too me too i think it was nice to get a get a um get a, a male companion on the on the tardis again yeah i definitely and as i said the the end of that episode the pandora opens the big bang it was just such a positive uplifting ending to the series so anyone making doctor who from now on please give us a happy ending every so often 
give us a okay that's the end we've done it let's go off and have more adventures yay rather than <laughs> oh dear god we've lost somebody very important and it's all tragic and sad and we're going to cry and which which is my fear for the end of uh the tenant specials that were that we're going into um you know are we going to is he going to do it is he going to is he going to actually kill off donna properly this time oh, or I doubt you it. know i doubt I, it very much um, I, 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 I would be i would be surprised um although i am i'm keeping quiet on twitter about any of it because i do get a bit frustrated truth be told about some of the the speculations and all that mm-hmm. is this going to happen well in a couple of weeks time you will find out yes uh, because and the reason I get frustrated with it is not because there's anything wrong with speculating. That's great fun. You know, mm. you can look at it and you think, oh, maybe this is going to happen. Maybe such and such. Maybe this will come along. But there is a little corner of fandom that seems to be very adept at speculating about something. And then either getting very angry about what might happen when it hasn't actually happened yet. <laughs> and it's like You realize this thing you're getting angry about is something you have just thought about in your head it hasn't actually taken place or get very angry when the thing comes along and doesn't do what it might do and it's like again you're getting angry for it not doing the thing that you just made up in your head based yes. on very very limited information <laughs> um and if anyone who was one of the great things about this about doctor who at the moment which i really really love is that it's bringing fans in at every era i've been a fan since it was on with Colin Baker on the telly, you know, I've a fan since the wilderness years. I've seen it since it was Colin Baker. I've been a fan since the wilderness years. I've seen the whole of the new series all the way through. I've seen every bloody episode multiple times now mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And yet you go to some of these conventions and events, or you'll see people on Twitter saying, yeah, I, I, my first episode was the woman who fell to earth, you know, or a Jodie Whittaker episode. And it's bringing fans in at every, at every conceivable point. But anyone who was, a fan, as it were, or watching through the Russell T. Davis era when it first came out in 2005, will know that Russell T. Davis will do whatever is good for getting publicity, for getting people interested, for getting people to want to watch, mm-hmm. including lying through his teeth. Because when you interview him and ask him questions about what's coming up, he is not going to give you the plot of the episode he's just written that hasn't aired yet. No. He will say things that are speculative or he will make comments that people will latch on to um, and they will be absolute bollocks. I mean, the one thing that did become very clear during the first Russell T. Davis era, if he and any character in any one of his episodes said that something was absolutely impossible and could not happen, you guaranteed it would happen by the it's end of the happen. series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Rose can never come back ever. She's separated in that parallel dimension forever or <laughs> about a year and a half. <laughs> it, yeah. it will happen. It will. It will. You can't so, you can't you can't trust anything. He knows how to how to drum up the publicity as well, I think, for, for, for the show. Been, been very good at it. And yeah. Whatever you think of his writing, whatever you think of his comments, whatever you think of anything, he's very, very good at getting publicity for the show. Mm-hmm. Just, just as John Nathan Turner was in the 80s. You know, yeah. He was an excellent publicist for the show. Yeah. And I, I'm excited to see what happened, but I'm going to wait and see what happens before I make any comment about it, because there's no point in commenting on things that haven't happened yet. Well, uh, by the time this comes out, I think we will have seen all three of the specials. So... Uh, yeah, so uh, if, if, you, if you're listening to this after you've seen the specials, then uh, I hope you enjoyed them. <laughs> yeah. I, my my only speculation is that he's going to give Donna Noble a proper happy ending because he's already done the sad ending for Donna Noble. Yeah, he's done can't that do once. it again. Why would you do it again? Yeah. You know, why would you bring them back only to rip it apart like that exactly. again? That's, you know, that's not what this is about, I think. So I think it will be a nice, happy mm-hmm. end for Donna Noble. Yeah. We shall see. I could be wrong, but yeah, could but end yes. up so, with... yeah, my favorite season finale so far, Pandora opens and the Big Bang. Brilliant. And I've got a quick question about it for you as well. Um, do you think that this is uh, the point where Doctor Who started to lose the general public? Because I feel like Doctor Who under Russell was developed for a for the general public and the Doctor Who fans, but I think it was always done in a way that was accessible for the for the public. I feel like when it became, so it was a family drama, uh, I think when it became uh, under the stewardship of Moffat, it became more of a, a show aimed towards the fans. So do you think this is the point where it started to kind of 
fade a little bit from the public consciousness? I don't know how much that is the case, to be perfectly honest with you, because it remained very popular. Mm. Um, There's always this discussion about the general audience and the general viewer, Mm. the casual viewer or the fan viewer and everything else. And it's like, if people are interested in these things, I don't think that it's ever got to the point where it's really going to turn off somebody who switches on Mm. and sees something. I think there's stuff that you can follow. Um, Anyway, so I'm not ever convinced of how valid the argument about appealing to a casual audience is, because Mm. what on earth is a casual audience? You know, there are, there are millions of people living in this country watching BBC one what's a casual viewer versus a fan viewer and is there actually a difference are you know are the viewing figures indicative Mm -hmm. i don't think they are anymore i think the way that we view television has changed so much that people going on about how the viewing figures are down are missing the big picture which is that the viewing figures are down for everything admittedly there have been some misfires legend of the sea devils was a shocking mess Mm -hmm. and i'm not surprised it got such low viewing figures really (laughs) But they're not the be all and end all, as uh, as I as I argued with someone on Twitter a while ago and said, you know, Doctor Who's viewing figures are down. Hmm. It's like, OK, but, you know, it, it's got the lowest viewing figures of any festive special so far. Yeah, but it was still the second most watched program of the day. Yes. <laughs> in the top 10 for the week. Yeah, but it's got the lowest viewing figures, but it's still the second most watched <laughs> program that entire day. Yeah, but it's not number one, is it? Oh, piss off. Somebody tried to compare it to say, you know, look how bad the viewing figures are. Compare it to the day of the Doctor. Oh, compare <laughs> it to the 50th anniversary special that was widely publicised <laughs> and simulcast in cinemas and televisions all over the world. Yeah, <laughs> that's a valid comparison. <laughs> Stephen Moffat um, put it quite well once when he said that, uh, do you class a book unsuccessful if it isn't bought on the first day that it's published you know well, do you yeah. class it as being unsuccessful you don't you know i mean as uh, this weekend i mean as much as i would love to be watching the star beast on broadcast um i can't this weekend i'm going away and um i'm i'm going to um, i'm going to visit uh, my my new girlfriend and um we are putting up her christmas tree and watching christmas films with her and her daughter that's what I'm doing on Saturday night. I will watch is the it, Star is it Beast. A little bit, little bit too early in the relationship to start insisting <laughs> to watch Doctor Who with you, is it? Oh, she's been, <laughs> she's she's been uh, she's been watching it with me, but she's part way through series four, so she's got started from oh, the Eccleston okay. stuff. And uh, I said, well, yeah. I says if we can squeeze in on Friday night, if we can squeeze in the back end of series four, we, we could we could jump to the Star Beast on Saturday night. She's like, no, I want to watch five to th- series five to 13 first but i was like okay so and she says you, you're quite you're okay, quite well. welcome to sneak away and watch it on the tv upstairs i was like i can't <laughs> do that i can't do that to you so i'll be watching it on sunday instead well may i just say that your new girlfriend sounds marvelous <laughs> <laughs> I, sh- I shall i shall tell her that <laughs> <laughs> No, she's uh, she she's she's indulged me so far uh, on our uh, on our vi- on my visits to her. I'd love to be watching episodes as they're broadcast, but life takes over and you can't. And I don't think anybody's got any right to sit there and and say to you, you are you are not a true fan if you are not watching it there and then, sat watching it in front of the TV on the night of broadcast. I think it's you know we things get long, in the way. Yeah, we are long, long past the era when if you don't watch it on broadcast, you have to wait for a scheduled repeat. It's all there anytime. If you don't catch it on broadcast, if you don't catch it on broadcast, you can watch it on iPlayer immediately afterwards. Does that mm-hmm. matter? You know, you, you can, that's why they, you know, viewing figures now include like seven and 28 day catch up figures because, but, you know, you could keep saying, you know, now it's all there. You could maintain how many times has it been watched since it's been put up and yeah, you know, exactly. it could go on forever. So viewing yeah. figures are kind of, not so great also i get frustrated when you see people going you know it's only got seven and a half million viewers and then you see this new netflix series got 1.5 million viewers on first broadcast it's the (laughs) highest they've ever had it's not for crying out loud (laughs) 1.5 million is a success for netflix (laughs) you know we're routinely beating that so yeah absolutely we're 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 all right i think we're we're people look at the viewing figures and you know even in in 20 in 2021 they were like viewing figures oh it's terrible it's all going down it's all going down all it's going down it's terrible 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 it's like well 
they've made another series during all the covid restrictions mm-hmm. which is a lot of time and resource to devote to the series they've asked for a special for the centenary of the bbc to celebrate and they brought russell t back for another couple of series i think the series is actually doing fine they, they the believe other in the series. Yeah, absolutely. The other nonsensical argument you see is people saying they've made this change to try and kill Doctor Who off. <laughs> it's made by the BBC. If they want to kill Doctor Who, they will stop making stop it. Making it, yeah. It's a lot of money yeah. to put into something they're trying to kill off. They just stop making it. Yeah, they it's... don't have to do it. They don't have to do it. Look at look at everything that they're doing with the with the with the sixtieth and absolutely. the promotion that we're getting. Amazing of it. amount of stuff we're getting for it. And I mean, the other thing is, at some point, they will stop making it. But yeah. at this point, who cares? I know exactly. I may I might get crucified as a fan for saying that, but Doctor Who was stopped made it, they stopped making it in 1989 and it did not die. At some point, they will stop making it in 2020 something, 2030 something, where they will stop making it. And it will carry on. And mm-hmm. all the stuff that's available now will be available then. You mm-hmm. know, you've got 60 years worth of material to look from. You've got books. You've got big Finnish audios. You've got comic strips. You've got a magazine that accompanies the series. You've got all sorts. Doctor Who is not going to die. And if it stops being made on the television, so be it. It will still live on. We kept it alive from 1989 to 2005. You know, we'll, so We'll do it again. We'll do it again. I, I'm I'm here for Wilderness Years Part Two. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. One of the good things about doing this podcast uh, so far is 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 listening to people's topics that they want to talk about. It's uh, it's been really interesting over over these last few weeks recording. So uh, and uh, I, I spot a cat. <laughs> yes, there is a cat. <laughs> What do you want? You have to get involved in every podcast I do, don't you? You have to get involved at some level. Oh, bless Honestly. her. Honestly. Bless her. Bless she's, her quite, she's quite welcome to join in. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about uh, the uh, Genesis of the Daleks LP or the uh, a specific we part are. of it. We are indeed, yes. It's my favourite cliffhanger and it's a bit of an odd one because it's not a cliffhanger that actually made it to the screen. So as... Many of the listeners will know, but for the benefit of anyone who doesn't, uh, in the 1970s, Genesis of the Daleks was edited down and given some narration by Tom Baker for release on an LP. For those young ones of you listening, that's a that's a that's a thing. With, well, vinyl's coming, it can come back now anyway. So you know, you know what an LP all, all, is. all the kids are buying it these days. All the kids are buying vinyl these days. I, I... Um, and it was subsequently released on audio cassette. Uh, which mm-hmm. is how I got hold of it mm-hmm. um, with slip back on the second cassette. Yeah, slip back, yeah. And um, basically, Genesis of the Daleks has some frankly pretty duff cliffhangers on the television version. Mm. Um, a couple of them because they ran out of time or they needed something in a hurry. Uh, but the LP finishes. You would think they would finish it with the cliffhanger to episode three because they do parts one to three on part on side A and parts five four to six on side B. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cliffhanger to part three is not where it was supposed to be on the television show. Um, they were hoping that the cliffhanger on part three would actually be Davros's speech about the Daleks emerging from the fires of war, apparently, from mm-hmm. what I've read. And of course, what actually ended up on screen was the bit where the Doctor gets zapped on the uh, on the control tower for the far rocket. It's a bit of an unsatisfying, cliched, Flash Gordon serial yeah. type cliffhanger, really. But on the LP version, they moved the cliffhanger and for my money, they made it one of the absolute best that should have been in the show, um, but wasn't. And it's the Doctor in the Thal control room as they're about to launch the rocket. And they launch the rocket. And he says, I sent Harry and Sarah in there. And then you hear the explosions as the Thar rocket hits the Khaled Dome. And then the sting and the credits music comes in. And that is a fantastic cliffhanger. Hmm. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I can't do it justice by describing it. And I remember listening to it when I got the cassette um, and and thinking, that's brilliant. I mean, if I'd had to wait a week on television to see the next episode, that would have been horrific because it's suggestive you know the whole episode has built up to the launch of the far rocket and the destruction of the Khaled dome and the fact that we are with the doctor watching it on a screen we're not mm. in the dome as the rocket hits we're not 
with Harry and Sarah mm -hmm. sheltering from explosions or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the doctor on a screen watching what he thinks is the death of his friends and what we have no reason to believe isn't mm -hmm. the death of his friends. And uh, it's just brilliant. And it works really well on audio as well, because you just hear the explosions. And I, I love it. And, you know, cliffhangers are a mixed bag in Doctor Who. Uh, and in fact, I have just the last couple of days finished my mammoth cliffhanger journey through Twitter. Um, ah, yes. For anyone who's been following, I start in May 2022. Wow. <laughs> I started going through all the cliffhangers in Doctor Who after being inspired by one of Toby Haydock's podcasts, one mm -hmm. of his Indefinable Magic podcasts he did about cliffhangers. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go through them all and see what they're what they're like. What an idiotic thing to, <laughs> to try and do, because <laughs> it's taken me a year and a half to get through all of them. <laughs> What is it about us Doctor Who fans starting things and then realizing, oh my god, how long oh, is this going to be going why, on why for? Did I, why did I do this? Why did I do this to myself? Um, but you know, it's great, and there are there are a variety of types of cliffhanger. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's the obvious ones with the Doctor in mortal peril, which are resolved very very quickly. There are more interesting narrative plot turns. Um, which make for good cliffhangers. And there are the totally contrived moments of Jeopardy that come out of nowhere and have nothing to do with anything. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Snake Dance Part 3. Yes. For no good reason, Lon orders the guards to kill the Doctor, Nyssa and um, uh, Shayla. And Nyssa screams, the credits come in, and in the next episode, immediately, Lon's mother turns and goes, wait! <laughs> and the whole execution thing is never brought up again no. because they just needed a cliffhanger. So... You know, every so often they'll have cliffhangers that happen because they have to. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I, it's almost sacrilege to say it, but I think Robert Holmes was the worst at that. He wrote some fantastic scripts, mm. but I think he was on record as saying he hated doing cliffhangers. Mm. And if you watch a lot of his serials, it really shows. Mm. Some of his cliffhangers are terrible. Um, they're contrived. They're very easily escaped from. They're just there because they need to be rather than because um, mm. anything else happens. Some of the best cliffhangers are plot developments yes where it's like oh whatever's just been revealed is going to take the story off in different direction now um there's some really good ones then there are the ones that are really really classics like you belong to us you shall be like us in tomb of the cybermen which mm -hmm. you know it's just it's just a great image to end the episode on uh, genesis of the daleks has variable cliffhangers episode one is you know oh here's davros and the dalek that's quite a, a decent one i think then you have episode two which is sarah falling off a gantry and episode three revealing there was a little <laughs> platform for her to fall on a couple of feet below so she's okay uh <clears throat> and then episode three the zaps episode four is a good one with davros yelling you will tell me because yeah. you know the doctor will tell him because yeah. he's torturing the companions mm -hmm. and then episode five is Silly and contrived and pointless, but is so well done that Tom Baker gagging with a Dalek round his throat is just whoa. That's, yeah, that's a shocking moment, and yeah, it works quite well. And Tom does pain so well as well that it that it, oh, uh, it does that it works, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, he's brilliant. This is this is before he starts mugging to the camera and doing silly faces and noises and oh my arms my legs my everything and all that kind of stuff it's long before that happens this is when he actually wants to make sure he gets a job the next year as well um, <laughs> but in the lp version of genesis that cliffhanger is because it's something that we think is happening or might be happening and we don't know i think mm. really really works mm. um, so that is my favorite from all those hundreds of cliffhangers that i did the twitter threads on that is, I think, one of my very favourite cliffhangers is that one. So if you can get the most recent version of the CD, I think that still has it in there. Um, it's definitely worth listening to. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure I put it, actually put the audio clip on my Twitter thread. So find that. Yeah. <laughs> dig back through that. Yeah, yeah. That was earlier this year. So. I think I listened to Genesis of the Daleks before I saw it. So because I had that cassette. So I do remember that cliffhanger. And I think I was very confused when it came out on video a few years later uh that's well i think it might have been quite a few years i think was the cassette out in 1988 possibly 88 89 so i must have got it around about that time i think uh so i was very confused when i watched it on video and it didn't 
it was a non-existent cliffhanger within mm. within the story so it was a very it was very confusing um but i agree it's a it is a fantastic cliffhanger and it's interesting as well discussing cliffhangers uh because i was talking about this um with uh rod who whose episode will have been released already by the time you're listening to this but he was discussing some cliffhangers as well and uh i talked on there about how watching the videos the 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 kind of feature length videos i used to enjoy trying to spot where the cliffhangers were mm-hmm. and uh and even now watching some of the stories on dvd it doesn't feel right that there's a cliffhanger in the story it's funny how you get used to watching certain versions of mm. things isn't it i remember um i remember getting a lot of the a lot of my early experiences of doctor who were through the uk gold omnibus editions on Sunday mornings that my neighbor would record for us because we didn't have Sky TV Mm. uh, but my neighbor did and very generously they would record them for me um, not every time but I had an awful lot of UK gold versions and I remember from those that when they did the omnibus versions the advert breaks on on there were usually in between episodes yes so if you had a four-part story story for example you'd have your adverts between you'd have you'd have the cliffhanger that would lead into a commercial break and then you'd get the reprise and you'd see the next episode and so on but for some reason they always stuck another commercial break in the middle of the final episode Mm -hmm. so for a few stories that i watch it still seems weird to me that the episode four doesn't have a break of any kind at that moment that there was a commercial break in the version that i had on my shelf for so many years and got really used to yeah Uh, the two i can distinctly remember are the three doctors when they find the doc- second doctor's recorder in the console mm. and the third doctor says, i'll get you another one i'll get you a hundred i'll get you a thousand come on <laughs> and then there's a commercial break and of course in the actual episode it carries straight on and the other one is the arc in space when they've just seen off the wirren um from the electrified control room and the doctor says don't let the power drop and you see the wirren muttering around mm-hmm. outside the door and mm-hmm. then there's a commercial break and of course in the episode it just carries straight on yeah so it just seems really weird it is um, it is i was watching um uh spearhead from space and uh it's very uh, and rod spoke about this as well um it, the uh the general scoby cliffhanger in um spearhead from space with the with the replica of general scoby mm. and and when i saw that on dvd i was like what the cliffhanger's there and it just didn't make <laughs> sense to me i mean it's it's a very unusual cliffhanger it's really interesting trying to play that kind of where it where it spot the cliffhanger. And speaking of the commercial breaks, I um not Doctor Who related, but I I had a recording of Return of the Jedi when it was first broadcast on ITV about I think it was 1989, I think Boxing Day, and I had that video for years. And the, where each advert break is is burned into my memory. So every time <laughs> I watch the Return of the Jedi, I know where the advert break is, and it almost doesn't feel right to watch it without an advert break in it. I remember we. I must have watched it on that um, on that repeat on that uh, showing on ITV. But I remember we didn't have the the video recorded, but we did record another Christmas movie, and I remember a trailer for Return of the Jedi being on the beginning of the uh, the movie that we had recorded, so I always remember them, the re- Return of the Jedi, and then you get the moment of Luke swinging across the sail barge going, let's go, and don't forget the droids. Yeah. And that is always the bit that I remember watching in the trailer for, for the movie. It's just, oh. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's amazing what sticks in your mind. I do like that we do still have cliffhangers these days. Um, I, I like that the, the tease before the titles often acts as a cliffhanger as well. So I think it's uh, it's nice that the, the tradition is kept up a little bit. I think. Yeah, it is, it is a bit. And the, the, the I mean, the thing I've noticed, as I'd say, just finishing that cliffhangers thread is because there are fewer of them, sometimes they throw everything in the kitchen sink at the cliffhangers. So they cover they, you know, everything's going on at once, but also they sometimes put cliffhangers in that aren't really needed. So, for example, particularly in the uh, the most recent couple of years, I think um, Chris Chibnall had said, you know, going back to how it used to be in the old days to hark back to some of the things from the previous the, the 60s eras, like, you know, the multiple companions and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And another thing that's happened more recently is these bridging cliffhangers where things happen at the end of an episode that lead into the following, even though it's not a direct you know it's not a part two or anything like that it's just mm-hmm. and the the problem with those ones now is that they're redundant because of the next time trailers that we get at the end of the episodes yeah um and i remember several of them i remember i don't remember if, i don't know if you remember if you saw online uh when aliens of london 
first was broadcast, loads of people complained that they followed the cliffhangers with the next time trailer, which kind of blew the. Yeah, you know, the, I remember that. But I remember, remember being surprised by it. people. Going, oh, but, but it blows the surprise because the doctor and Rose are fine. It's like, but you know, they're going to be fine anyway. What's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're but, not going to just kill them off and that's it. <laughs> yeah. But then later, the next time there was a two-path, the next time trailer didn't come until after the credits had rolled so that people had time to switch off before the yeah. uh, stuff. So, it's just, but, but yeah, having these bridging cliffhangers that go, ah, we're going to such and such. And then you have a next time, mm. we're at the thing we said we were going to. It's like, we don't really need that then, do you? So no. <laughs> a lot, there, are, there are more redundant cliffhangers um, these days. But, yeah. you know, they weren't that great in the 60s, to be honest. It was just there to produce an ongoing narrative, but it was usually tacked on the end and had nothing to do with anything that had gone before. Mm -hmm. You could yeah. quite happily hack it off, which the early video releases did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's it for part one of my discussion with Jason. We'll be back in part two. We'll be discussing something of a more artistic nature. So whatever you're doing, have a good day, and we'll speak to you again soon.